Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome to another episode of Play It Forward. Uh, I'm here with the queen of common sense and a huge inspiration. And we talk about in that intro, teaming up with people that are advocates of children. And there's no bigger advocate in my mind and action taker than the person we've got on today. So we've got Maggie Dent. So thanks so much for joining us, Maggie. Oh, look, this is something I wouldn't miss for anything, an opportunity to chat about the importance of play in all its glory and our children and childhood. Yep, I'm right here, 110%, both feet, size that's what 10 I, and a half. That's what I love about Maggie Dent, 110, both feet. and Size 10 and a half. 10 and a half. And before we start, I'd encourage you to head straight over to the Parental as Anything podcast as well. Subscribe from me personally and my wife. It's been a huge help. You've got some experts from around the world. Um, it's on. It's sponsored by ABC. Yeah, um, yep. ABC podcast. ABC, so ABC podcast, parental as anything. Pause it right now. Head over there. Subscribe. It's phenomenal. <laughs> and another thing that's phenomenal is your website. They should not only call you the queen of common sense, but maybe the resource queen as well. Because <laughs> that <laughs> is crazy. If you go head over to the Maggie Dent website and there is yep. so many resources any problems you're coming up with, any challenges you have in supporting your children from a parent standpoint or yeah. an educator standpoint, it's pretty much your encyclopedia to troubleshoot. So Aww. it's amazing. And I wanted that in the early days, Lucas, it was really important that it was all parents could access it, um, whether you had money or you didn't have money. And I've done a lot of work in remote communities and I know that, you know, that was one of those things. Anyone who supports parents, whether you know, you're the neighbour, you're the sister, you're the auntie, or you're the person running, you know, playgroups. We wanted you to be able to have that information at your fingertips if ever you need to convince people why these things are important. So thanks for that. My, my team are exhausted um, to, uh, keeping up with me. I, I kind of wake up with ideas and write blogs and, yeah, and they're not always very short, but they're packed with the latest stuff. So thanks for that. You've actually noticed it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And... Um conveying one of your huge passions, which aligns with our passion and motivation in nature play. You have your phenomenal nature play gallery, which people can access for free once again. Um, so yeah. log on there. If you need inspiration for your own environment, if you're DIY or you're just coming up with that scope. So whoever you are enlisting in creating your natural environments are authentic because we tend to, in my observation with this trend of nature play, um, you could end up with rubber, a few trees and yeah. a fort, a wooden fort. And all of a sudden it's, we do nature environments. Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> or we actually heard of one place where they um, were building it and the company building it bulldozed all the bush and the trees down and then built the playground. Oh, wow. Like I just about, yeah. And what we love on that gallery is that you might only have a small area, you know, in your early childhood setting or down the side of one of your classrooms. So it's not just the big 
Bazunko, it's what could we do with that space uh, using natural resources? And I think that's been a gem too for people just tapping into it, going, let's just do something with this area um, for the year ones and see what happens. Yeah, 100%. And it's all accessible as well. When you look at the resources in there, yep. it's it's achievable yep. for a lot of people. And um, that reminds me of like being an educator originally, a bit of a backstory for our listeners is that while I was an educator and working full time, I went to a conference, I saw Maggie speak and I was so inspired. I went to thank her afterwards. And for some reason, you have this effect of people just brain dump on you. I see it time and time again. And I went up and said, hey, I've got this thing. I'm sick of playground companies coming in and astroturfing and rubbering everything and reducing the learning opportunity for children. I want to do this thing, but I'm not sure. To your reply was, well, you just have to do it. <laughs> you just have to do it. You're like, you have now. to. And as long <laughs> as my amazing wife's um, push as well and confidence in that journey um, and you to turn around and say, well, here's all my books are there and available. Anything online, if you want to use it, it's a resource. So that I've got to thank you personally for that little push. It stands out in my mind on this journey of trying to create beautiful learning environments supporting all children. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I, um, this is kind of why I'm still doing it, even though I'm nearly 65, is because every now and then I run into someone I've given a nudge and drowned them with a bucket full of enthusiasm and given them a shove. And, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, and then your job, and I love, look what you're calling the podcast. Yeah. Play it forward. So your job now is to do exactly the same for the people you work with and companies and schools you run into. And that's how we change the world. Yeah. And that was a real framing off what you do and the impact you have. I think it is so effective because it is about, okay, how can I best help people? And since we've started the business, I'm like, okay, how can we best help? And that's where the um, play pods have come from. The play ships, the loose parts play, teaming up with nature play, et cetera, have all come from just saying, how can you best serve? So maybe that's a great framing for our listeners to just yeah. simple framing. How best can I serve not only your parents, which is yeah. our default, but those little people and, and represent their voice as well? I think another thing that when we do this well, uh, Lucas, is that we respond to the inquiries we get or an idea from someone who's right at the grassroots, you know, and I'd kind of had a bit of a thing about loose parts for a while, but I didn't kind of know all the theory behind it. And um, when I ran into a few of the places where I could see, see what I kept seeing was, it's particularly Western Australia, because that's kind of where nature play took off quicker. Um, beautiful schools that were building wonderful structures like all the ones that you build but I, I kept looking around and saying there's something missing and it took me a while to work out that the only stuff they could move really was the sand yeah um and I said no um and then a couple of the schools actually had a had a bush area behind the playground that was fenced off and I just sort of said you know I wonder what would happen if you shifted the fence and I that's it I left an idea and you leave the idea and that sometimes that was an idea that I might have got from somewhere else. And um, they, they invited me back um, 18 months later and the area they built was just used like mad, no question. Yeah. But the bush area, they, we tiptoed through it and saw the bases and the cubbies and the, the way that they had transformed that area with just stuff. Um, and I almost cried. I almost cried with um, 
uh, I guess there we have, we've created exactly the environment that allows children to come together and be explorers and adventurers and conquerors and, you know, co-conspirators. Um, it was just, I was really, I was really touched because the rules before was keep them out of the bush. Yeah, exactly. I even, uh, I was doing a licensing handover to the education department yesterday and they're like, oh, this is so beautiful. It's amazing. And I was like, yeah, but it's just, it's, it's lacking at the moment. I was like, thanks for the compliment. But, you know, we view it as the more the child can have their imprint on the space, the higher the value to the child. And it's kind of replicating where we wanted to play as children. You go to the park and you see, you can't see that representation of a child, but you go in the bush next door because they can move it. <laughs> and I love what you said about their imprint on the land. Isn't that yeah. something? And it's it's done in a respectful way. Yeah. And yeah. the innate reflex of that is they're caring for the land that supports yeah. them and they're nourished from it. Totally. And then the I outcomes also, for um, the learning. Yeah, and one of the other things that they had to address then was that their playtimes they recognised, which they'd shortened because kids, you know, tended to be not playing terribly well. <laughs> then they were playing so well that they kind of gave them another five minutes. But the really beautiful thing that you get, the feedback from those environments that had to really do a lot of re-educating of parents was how engaged they noticed the kids were after recess and lunch. Now, that's the gift that you have to see from experience. When your teacher says, my gosh, you know how we used to have problems with your son after more, you know, we don't now. Yeah. And the reason that those kids that used to, you know, struggle with refusal to attend or truanting because they really couldn't colour in the lines and they can't spell sight words, those kids turn up to a school environment where the play is so exciting that they'll turn up in the classroom. And we can't teach the ones who don't turn up, Lucas. So this is that sense that give them what is absolutely healthy for them um, because it will have spin-offs that are positive for those of us who want to improve educational outcomes. And seriously, Australia needs a bit more of it, don't we? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's one of the things we try to do is it's hard to convey that um, when you go in with these nature play ideas and loose parts, the reflex from a lot of edu teachers is that, well, this is another thing and I respect that they have so much to do but trying to convey and we next year is a we're, we're going to be collecting the data on it like before and after behaviors yep. of um, environment change um, but to say it's not an extra thing it's actually going to take away from your workload yeah. it's going to make your life better you're going to have far more secure attachment with your children so yeah. it's okay to there get were two wild. other things two other things that I noticed and it was first um the Catholic education system in Western Australia started them first before we got the government system involved. And um, another thing they said was they noticed that um, children were now communicating and talking with other children because that was that was like a it was noticeable that children weren't able to build rapport with other children. Um, and it's partially obviously to do with the increase in screens, but also lack of play in neighbourhoods. Um, that they were seeing children now developing authentic friendships, negotiating and communicating, um, which just wasn't happening before, which uh, is gold, you know, on so many levels of building emotional social competence. You can't do it if we don't have interaction. And I think it was also that children were also helping other children, and that was the gift a number of teachers said to me, that um, as, the, as the teachers stepped back and stopped kind of hovering, um, it was the kids that would say, here, I'll give you a hand up. 
um, it's a bit high here. Have you been up before? I'll help you. And she, they actually suddenly saw, um, you know, kids helping each other out. Um, you know, they just kind of took over the looking after of, which is called social cohesion, which they were noticing was really diminishing in our playground. So the benefits, um, and I guess the other one was parents were also noticing less fighting in the car on the way home. So therefore, the excess cortisol, which gets built up with our massive formalised system, gets discharged at recess, gets discharged at lunch, and therefore they don't come with the same flooded sense straight after school. And I think we have to look at this because it's one of the things we're starting to plot that you know, the less play children have, the more they're having problems with mental unwellness, um, that secretly these sorts of things um, that we that kind of got removed out of childhood in schools um, could be contributing to all the things that we're not happy about in our schools and that we could possibly be turning it around. Um, and I just think, yeah, we're, we're on the right track. Yeah. Even though we're going backwards, I think it's a kind of a, I think someone said to me one day, um, it's not a revolution, it's a counter revolution because we're not going forward, we're actually going back. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And w you mentioned it briefly there about these, um, these changes that have happened that we need to go back past, like screen time and um, the lack of neighborhood play, lack of social yeah. interaction. So what do you think the contributors are? Where did this come from, this surplus fear okay. and things like that? What's your point of view on it? Because there is a span. Yeah, no, so um, we can't blame everything on the screens. I'm really going to throw that one out there. Yep. But 100%. so what we, and I've just been looking at um, the research on um, how terrible Australian uh, teenagers are in terms of movement and that we've <laughs> We've even got the New Zealanders beating us, so that's how bad we are. We are, you know, like really, really bad that our, our adolescents are not moving. So when we look at that and we plot back, apparently they haven't been moving for about 15 years. So in other words, they stopped moving before the screens arrived. So we yep. can't blame completely the screens. What, what we can blame, and it's kind of that culture, and I remember Tim Gill, and, um, you know, when I chatted to him at conferences, we suddenly got frightened of litigation and we got this kind of myth that, um, the big bad lawyers are going to come and get you if your child gets injured. And the American litigation system is very different to here, but it kind of flooded over here. So what we've, um, and that's a really big one in terms of getting injured in dangerous things. So what we did was we ripped out all the dangerous things, which, you know, was my childhood, um, you know, the big metal slides and the wooden seesaws and the, and the uh, what do you call them, those spinning things what do you call them, with the rings on them that knock teeth out, those sorts of <laughs> things, all of the things that were really dangerous. But do you know what? They were those things and sand, and that was all the playgrounds were, but they were dangerous. You could seriously get hurt. Well, we rip them out, put in stuff that's really banal, boring, um, that has no challenge, thinking we will get less people, in, children injured. And, of course, Tim's research was what we needed to have and that was in the UK that he worked out that children were getting injured at almost twice the rate in the safe playgrounds because children thought they were safe and parents thought they were safe and nothing safe. So there was a consciousness shift around risk. And then the other one is we've made everyone terrified because we now have all of our news, uh, international and otherwise, uh, catastrophizing that there's a potential pedophile on every corner. Yep. So parents are holding their children inside their yards out of um, a myth 
exception because it is still very rare that that sort of thing will happen. And particularly Queensland, you know, the Daniel Morecambe thing, what it did was kind of frighten our parents. Um, it's actually safer now than it was 30 years ago, which is statistically quite a solid statistic. So I think those things combined and then, oh dear, here's the screen that I can give you that will entertain you on my couch where I know you will not get hurt. Yeah. And I think those come together. But another thing that I noticed is more parents are working, more, you know, both mums and dads, which means before there was obviously a parent at home, um, which meant, you know, you'd get out a bit more, but they're so busy that just, just surviving, you know, the whole recreation time, so those things combined, really, Lucas, I think have all created that um, that fear of, um, you know, and our trips to playgrounds seem to be a lot shorter. Everything's shorter. Yeah. We're in a hurry. So the shortness, how do you build a cubby when you've got half an hour at a playground or half an hour in a bush block? Or nothing to build it with. No, and nothing to build it with. So um, it's a few things layered up. And then what else? I think we just started to accept this was the new reality and it's, and it's, where I started to really, when I wrote the book about building resilience in children called Real Kids in an Unreal World, um, I started speaking about that. And obviously I talked about the place is one of the building blocks that builds resilient kids. And I talked about the risk in it. And, oh, my God, you know, and I'd say to the parents, so did you do any of these things? You know, did you, you know, did you have those, you know, wooden seesaws that smack you in the chin and the big long monkey bars that you did walk on the top and they're all going like this. And I said, okay, so um, would you be okay with your kids doing that? And they're going, no way. And I'm going, right, let's have a little stop here. What the heck has happened? You know, some of you may have broken your arm, but I'm going to tell you that made you far more gritty far more persistent with an inner locus of control about I want to do this myself um, and also we we're able to now have more science and neuroscience around um, experiences that help us to grow in confidence whereas yeah. we didn't have that information before and I think um, yeah so it did take some fairly loud people and and there are pockets of it all around the world you know Claire Warden in you know Scotland does crazy stuff in outside and we've got these kind of people that were speaking in and then we all started to kind of come together I think and we're not going anywhere now and you know the very fact that we have people like yourself that not only can help create those environments but you educate how to use those environments um, that's why we're going to have change that will not disappear this time we're, we're returning um, authentic outdoor play back to the children um, and thankfully there's hope for future generations now. Yeah, yeah. And one of the challenges I see is over doing this for the years that I have, initially, like if you flash back like seven years ago, doing a presentation, I'd ask like, where did you play as a child? Like, was it outside? Raise your hands. And I have a majority of the room put their hand up. Now we're getting to the stage is like, put your hand up if you played outside. And then the, the ratio is changing to be like yeah. the scary the girl with the scared look on her face thinks she's giving a wrong answer, which she's absolutely not saying, well, no, I didn't, I didn't play outside or how far were you allowed to go? And people in the same room are going like two K's and this girl's like my yard or boy is like my yard and that's it. And then they're missing that intrinsic experience as well. There's one thing I try to convey with our families is I simply ask them where they played as a child. 
And what they answer, and then I say, um, did you get hurt? 99.9% of the people will put a huge smile on their face and go, oh, yeah, I did. And to which I say, well, it must have been a positive experience because you can't all be psychos. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So it's these positive experiences and we are conveying that it was positive and we got hurt sometimes, but then the protection effect of all of a sudden the parent thing Mm. kicks in. Um, I just like soundboard this to you. My thinking on this subject is that um, we live in this very blessed culture where we do have, we are protected. We have all this surplus of safety, but there's still that itch as a parent that needs to be scratched to protect their children. So that's kind of morphed into this like academic priority thing. Would Is that what you observe? Because you've got way more diversity in, than yeah. I do. Yeah, no. So what, what we've also got is another paradigm shift that's contributing to this, Lucas, and that is that we're coming from uh, parenting in the previous century, and I'm I'm nearly 65. So I was in the 50s where it was pretty tough. So basically, let's get out the house, uh, out from under my feet. Um, and of course, um, discipline was very, very firm and swift. Um, children had no say, no rights. It wasn't very soft and fluffy, but we had massive freedom. Yep. So what we're doing, because we now have clear evidence, you know, of child development, that that's not terribly a good way to raise healthy people. Why lots of people have addictions and problems with mental health. So we're moving into a um, a more conscious and more connected um, parenting kind of um, recommendation. So what that does, though, it almost says you've got to be all over them. Yeah. So it's kind of contributing to not allowing our children to stretch. And I love that metaphor that you give your children roots and wings and um, that what that really means is that our children do need boundaries and they do need consequences and they do need to know what the rules are and our expectations are but when they're over controlled and given you know they they have such strong roots about their, what they can do then they don't grow wings yep. so they don't learn to fly but without the boundaries they fly off a cliff yeah. And each of your children has a different need in the roots and wings story, if that makes sense, does it? And one of the things we know is that every single child from birth has an innate drive to stretch themselves, um, go one step higher, um, swing higher, um, yeah, jump into freezing cold water, whatever it might be. And when we shut that down, um, because we're wanting to keep them safe, um, then that becomes problematic because we don't become okay at risks and take and stretching ourselves. And that's one of the that's one of the hardest things I know when I'm sharing with parents why we need to be okay with this, that your knuckles need to be white sometimes. Yeah. And that's full parenting. Um, and I still remember, and I, I know this is slightly inappropriate story, but I do remember as a, you know, sort of fairly new mum, I had a four and a half year old and a two and a half year old son, and we were on our family farm. And there's a stream through the middle of the farm um, in winter and um, it is one of the coldest places in Western Australia. So it gets to minus two. And we were there and we we were walking beside the stream that I have, you know, ridden bikes in and floated creeks. You've done, I've blocked it up. I've done everything in my childhood with it. And the boys said, let's jump in. And I'm going, oh no, no, you'll get a cold or you'll get. And I stopped myself and thought, what are you doing? You were jumping into this. So just, what are you doing? Like stop being a parent. Just let them go. Anyway, they ripped their gear off and heavens knows why that was important. Jumped into this freezing cold water and oh, seriously, they were out so quick. 
Um, and it was really funny because their little penises got sucked inside their body because the water was so cold. Like it was just the funniest thing. And I thought, right, they're done now. They've been brave. They've stretched themselves. Let's get in the car. And they're going, okay, let's do it again. And and then I sort of through their eyes, they were being brave again. Yeah. They were being brave with their brother, um, who was doing it. And it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's it, it, I and, and you know, obviously I was a fairly well informed human being at that point, but I still struggled with letting them, you know, risk, you know, freezing whatnot. And I think that's where our thing comes from. That there's a judgy world out there, Lucas, and parents of worry people will judge them if yep. their child ends up with the gash and the cut and the the broken arm. Um, and I think that's made it another another layer to to why they're not letting their children um, be quite as feral as we'd like them to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that when we have a, a, a collective of parents who are choosing to be conscious, aware, you know, connected parents who actually really value um, their kids be brave and adventuresome, then we're creating the pockets that shift the consciousness outside of our schools. Because yeah. when a school starts heading in that direction, saying it's okay, we've got the climbers, highest climbing thing we can find, we're going to get a zip line next term. And what happens is all the parents in that school environment get impacted by that. Yeah. And then you'll tend to find what happens in their neighbourhood will be very different as well. But what we want is we want it to go outside of the school grounds. We want yeah. parents to go, oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. Why don't we all go to a campground, you know, for all day Saturday if we can? Um, because it's it's when you take the next step and actually choose to prioritise opportunities um, that aren't planned and controlled. Yep. And the parents can sit around and have a cup of tea and just, you know, be within blood-curdling scream of children. Yeah. I think we sh we shift the next generation in a good direction, not just this generation. So what I'm hearing is you've got to be brave as a parent. Yeah. Yes. You've got to be brave to be able to sit. You know, it's the hardest thing. Um, and also you've got to allow your child to be brave, but you're modelling yeah. it. Um, do you have any other hints and tips for parents yeah. so they become okay. that action so and get their children brave? Yeah. So what happens when they're climbing? Now, one of the – our very first granddaughter, um, she has quite – strong upper body um she swung herself out of her cot with her sleeping bag on at 14 months wow. and my son said to me oh what do i do i said a cot's not a good idea babe um can you remember when i suggested you don't buy a second story apartment in sydney because you also threw yourself out of the cot at the same age so in other words this is one of her unique strengths so watching her climb really high places in playgrounds um, and how many people were telling me I needed to get her down because she was too small. Yep. So if a child is stretching past your level of safety, <laughs> really be mindful of that. Because when you say be careful, you have judged it for them. But if you say, does that feel okay? Yep. Are you feeling safe? We've still left it in their domain to work out how they feel. So we're making them kind of give it a bit more of a check-in but we're not disabling that notion. And I think that's the big thing that every now and then just watch silently trust. They have an inbuilt system of knowing when I've got to the edge of my fear yeah. and we don't push them past. So that's why sometimes when I see parents want to pick the child up and put them up on the thing, yeah. um, I'm going, hang on a minute. Um, 
why don't you let them work out whether they were ready for that? So yeah. it seems like a great thing to do. But if we just step back off, that's why I encourage you to get your cup of coffee or your cup of tea and you sit on the seat and you just say, let me know if you need my help. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes there are some, you know, kids that are particularly aggressive or pushy that might be unsafe. Yeah, it's, we step in to keep that okay. But I think sometimes we step back a little um, and allow them that freedom and just watch them trusting themselves. They actually really know that their leg will go up and down going, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Yeah. Do I want to swing? No, um, not yet. Yeah. And uh, Miss Ellie um, is now about to turn five. Um, at her first, fourth birthday party, there was a beautiful playground they had with a long monkey bar. Now, that's a birthday party, right? Um, this monkey bar, because she's been doing shorter monkey bars, she had never seen a long one and she wanted to nail it. Um, like she got blisters yeah. and she was falling down and running back again. So every time she falls down, she learns about failing and getting up and nothing, nothing teaches it better than real experience. And I think then guess what? Someone else watches her and goes, I want to see if I can do that. Yeah, if she can do it, and I can. And then what motivates us is within us yeah. instead of, oh, I'll give you a sticker if you have another go. Yep. Yeah, so that it's, it's kind of um, – and keeping, like I said, the priority for parents really is how much physical activity can I help my children have yeah. that they will automatically use play to make that happen yeah. because I think it's too passive and we're inside too much and it's not good for our kids. Yeah, 100%. And we're stealing the – every time we say um, be careful or jump in, we're doing so many things from – um, tipping them, like the physiological response to excitement is concentration, heart rate, all these other things. And the minute we say be careful, it kicks them from that excitement over to fear. And it's the exact yep. same physiological response, but it's a yeah. framing in the mind that causes us to say, this is exciting or this is yep. all of a sudden you've gone, no, this is dangerous. And your body is in the same state, <laughs> but we've just dictated to them. And the other yep. one is that accomplishment yep. is like, I can achieve uh. this goal. I can get accomplishment and then for self-fulfillment which yeah. therefore is their modeling for life i can internalize this and then as you key that great yeah. phrase you said earlier mental unwellness yeah. is not being able to manage yourself internally and these intrinsic things through play yeah. are framing us beautifully and we can be brave in parents to achieve this it's exciting yeah. it's exciting and one other thing about that risky stuff. So this is one of the things, obviously, because I work right into the spectrum and I worked with troubled teens a lot. What we tend to find is that the um, the child who has had those opportunities inhibited because mum or dad is just too terrified of them getting hurt, it doesn't look huge in the moment. Yeah. Um, and we have a big tendency also to drop our children at the school gate rather than um, walk or ride to school. And um, I, I am going to tell you that riding to school with a group of children is safe. Um, and, and we consider that as, as a possibility around it, possibly not do solo, but groups of children together are safe. We, we think, oh, no, I'll drop them in and I'll get them to the front door of the school. In other words, we keep going when we should back off. Yep. Um, and I do nudge every now and then saying if we're still carrying their bag to the classroom in year four, the problem's not your child. But what I'm going to say is that when we do that, instead of letting them get on public transport when they are ready to have a go, whatever age, because, you know, our roosters can be ready by eight. Yeah. I want to go by bus because my friends are on the bus. I don't want to go by car. 
um, and you might have to do a little more coaching with a lamb, is that means they've missed the experiences that they gain from being on public transport, which means that um, will they travel overseas to the same gay abandon that Aussies have done forever? Yeah. Or will they not? Because they haven't actually intuitively worked out um, what you do if the bus or train's late. What do you do if there's someone who looks a little makes you uncomfortable? Where do you sit? Um, you know, there's things you pick experience that you can't pick up by mum or dad chatting to you as you wave at the airport terminal. So building what I call not just confidence, but courage. courage. That Beautiful. is the gift. I think those two, those two things, those two C's um, are the gifts that I believe that nature play in that unpredictable environment that turns up different every time gives our kids and when they've got those opportunities to have to negotiate what turns up, not rather than what they thought was going to turn up, that's a gift. And it's one of the, I remember somewhere along the line, if you look at the safe playgrounds, all of the steps are exactly the same distance, right? So what that kind of does metaphorically to children is life's going to turn up predictable. Yeah. And that's why climbing trees um, is not, because no, no tree is exactly right? So your foot's got to work out, oh, it's there, right. And, you know, okay, well that, yeah. Can you yeah. see that? So unpredictability is fabulous. Yeah. My daughter calls when it we're a puzzle trying for her to work body. How, how does the world work? Yeah. And our job is not to tell them, it is to facilitate the environment with which they learn that themselves. And that's what you do so well, Lucas. Oh, thank you. Kind words. A um, bit of motivation, as always. Um, so when it comes to those um, parents getting their children in nature um, and you're a grandparent, so you've seen this with your sons as well, um, and a busy schedule and wanting the best for our children, so we're working more. Um, we want to send them to good schools, which cost money. We want us to do all these things and the extra. What's your advice to parents just to get children in nature a bit more? Okay. There's a couple of them, and that's the number one, one I would suggest is try to avoid um, uh, or extracurricular activities too much too soon um, because that puts structure, and guess what? An adult runs it. Yeah. So obviously if there's something your child loves, yep, dance, whatever, music, whatever, fabulous, but don't feel you have to fill every afternoon because what I want you to do is have the afternoons if you're a non-working parent or one of you where you can go for that walk down by the creek. You can get on your bike and go for whatever. You can get out the house and let them chill. Um, so in other words, we prioritise the spaces in our family life with which we go do fun stuff. Um, and I think sometimes if you can keep a, you know, a half a day on a weekend where that's when we might jump in the car and go um, and do some serious fun stuff. We might go somewhere we haven't been or a forest or a beach or a river. Now, the second one is, and this is something that's coming, um, you know, basically with a lot of the work from Nature Play, um, we need to have those conversations to get our kids out in our streets. So we need to create opportunities for neighbourhood play. I love the idea of playing out where we shut the street. I cannot believe that there are some shires making that or councils making that really difficult. For goodness sake, we're just shutting the street for cars. Um if you can do that and you will see that automatically you start getting people coming out, not only the children to play, 
with their scooters and their skateboards and their bikes and their everything. They draw on the road. They do all that. But the elderly in the street come out as well to watch it. And then we start building a sense of connection and community again. And then the third one, which is happening in some of the schools that have got their nature playgrounds, um, they have recognised that a lot of kids melt down after school and they, they've got this spectacular playground that they can only access, you know, recess and lunch. So some of the schools, I love it when they do it, um, have got two afternoons a week where parents are able to stay till four o'clock. Yep. So what's happening is these parents are turning up with their coffee, um, hanging around while all these kids are just playing on a, a playground that they know and recognise with similar grown-ups. Um, and we're finding that's also filling a void for lots of mummies who are a bit disconnected with the world. So we create pockets of it um, in our school environments and that. I love it. One of the schools has actually got a coffee van that turns up oh, that's brilliant. Uh, at three o'clock as well. So, I mean, can you see what we can do? They're not giant things. They don't no. cost a lot of money. But it's we have to take hold of this and create the opportunities. doesn't matter how busy you are find the pockets and um, and stick with it, you know, well before the end of primary. Yeah, definitely. And I'm excited to also add on to the end of that. Um, Nature Play launched this week the digital door knock app, which is great. So parents head over um, to the app store, look at Nature Play um, digital door knock, and you'll actually be able to find your neighbourhood and link in with other parents, do your descriptions. It's all safe. You have to invite each other. Um tap on that and then you'll be able to link up between your neighbourhood as well. Is... And won't that be wonderful? Again, I, I just think we're going to be able to use our technology sometimes to help us create the opportunities for play in days gone by because there's no longer a home phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, if, if you're time poor, you like go and have that adventure to find someone, mm. just click and go. That's where I'm the same as you. I'm like not – I don't want to bag screens at all. Mm. Um, especially for a child growing up in the school system that wasn't yeah. supported by writing yeah. on a blackboard or a whiteboard. Yeah. Um, and I can actually go on the internet now and go down to where I need to go and, and learn my own style. And it's I'm only here now because I have this opportunity with technology. Yeah. So I can't come on and say, get rid of technology for kids because it's been a really godsend for me. Oh, no, not just that. But we know that we can use technology to... Um photograph amazing things in nature's and create digital spaces and share things and ideas. And my goodness, one of my favourite things on my Facebook page is sharing photographs from nature. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. And um, there is a lot around. I think it's a whole different podcast. And if people want to listen to season two of Parental as Anything, you were mentioning before, yep. while we're off air about a yep. great podcast coming up. Yeah. So we um, in the second series, we uh, we have got two wonderful nature play experts and advocates um, who I chat to, and I really love it that one of them, Daniel Burton, who was a teacher at a school that I am the patron of, which is a nature-based pedagogy and very much embraces incredibly exciting learning, they stepped out of the classroom because they just found so many kids didn't know how to connect with nature. And he says this line that when they first get them in these after-school groups where they take them into nature, um, they give them dangerous things like tools and tomahawks. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, there are opportunities that we can build into our external play, cubby building, raft yeah. building, you know, up trees and things 
that will need them to use equipment that we have once again generationally decided are too unsafe. What I think I um, loved is that um, the work that they have done outside of it has really created other movements in other states. Yeah. And that's what really happens when we have us passionate nature warriors. Um, be What I said at the beginning is be strong, stand up, follow your, your absolute passion that's thumping in your heart yeah. and know it's going to not only make a difference to, you know, what you do, you will lead others forward as well. And um, one that's one of the, uh, yeah, very exciting things. So the school that I went to in Bowl Park, when I put my hand up and said, can I be your patron saint? Um, <laughs> they just opened the wild space for the younger children, you know, the four, three, four and five-year-olds. And um, they'd listen to the children. And I went down there and they built them a hill. They built them a waterway and they had the biggest mud pit I've ever seen in a school ground. And I cried. I cried because I hadn't seen that opportunity for children in a school ground. And I said, oh, my goodness, whatever you're doing here, I've got to be a part of this. Because imagine coming and it's okay to get messy in a mud pit. And to slide down that hill and to block that waterway up and to hide behind those trees, things that the children asked for. And that was where, I guess that's really where my flame that had always been smouldering, because I'm a farm kid that grew up in the yep. bush, that's when it got activated within the school system. So, yeah, I, I you know, and that's oh, probably 16 years ago. Wow, that's yeah. so inspiring. <laughs> I'm lost for words. It doesn't happen I did, often. I cried. I'm sitting there crying, going, "Why am I crying at this yeah. fantastic playground?" Um, yeah, but that I that opportunity is not happening. One, and also, I'd be very interested in looking at the um, outcomes for those children that have been there so many years ago and how they they come out. Because one of the challenges we bring up, I've brought up quite frequently in this podcast, is trying to get beyond the nostalgia. Because yeah. the, see, the parents see it, well, they're playing in the mud, they're kids, but then yeah. they'll get to the real learning later. How do we overcome that? How do we overcome the thought that play is just nostalgic and these experiences are just a bit of fun? Uh, look, I think that's exactly what this school embraces. It's based on Reggio Emilio, obviously, that sort of a philosophy, but they took that right through to year 12. So the students um, are co-creators of the learning environment. So they come with a question and it's not, oh, I, whatever, go find out. No, that's a good question. Let's bring it to the They also live right near a lake. So the lake is part of their environmental concern and their environmental learning. They're testing it all the time and they go and check things. They even find long-necked turtles. And um, so there's not, <laughs> there are no rows of desks in the school. Yep. Um, so again, they consciously are about us keeping our bodies moving and our minds moving while we do the curriculum rather than well, I'm going to do the curriculum to them, create the curriculum with them. And um, I have, you know, there have been some students who I, their parents have come to me desperation because they could not get their five or six year old to go to school anymore because he hates it so much. And we've had them enrolled in this school environment. Mm -hmm. And within a week, this boy is getting out of bed at six in the morning, dressed, ready to go, excited that he's learning again. And I think, that is one of the things that I, as a you know passionate educator, is we need to keep the light alive in our children's eyes, to quote the words of a good friend of mine, Gillian McAuliffe, because that's what happened to her first. She said, I saw them go to school and the lights were out by Easter. Yeah. 
that's exactly what we do when we um, allow their pedagogy to be based in real experiences um, and also the, and the natural world. So fresh air, um, just the greenery in nature is restorative to all of us. So if you're you know, feeling like you're hemmed in in a screen world, you need to go outside. Yep. It's really some simple stuff that we weave in to what we do with children that can actually enhance their learning capacity because the more dopamine they have, the more concentrated they are. Um, Boredom is the biggest killer, um, again, yeah. and also having no choice. Yep. So Lights you can out. see again, you weave them all. And that's why I'm looking, we're moving towards more open classrooms. There's no question that's a great way for kids to learn as well. Obviously, in some parts of Australia, it gets a bit too hot or a bit too cold. So I think our consciousness that has been started, um, Lucas, around children needing more outdoor play we need more outdoor learning, but we need also the opportunity for children to be captains of their own ship in those spaces at times. Not all the time, but they definitely need to have some autonomy um, and independence in the choices they make in the way that they want to learn about this crazy world that we're giving them to steward forward. Yeah. And when it comes to that, with all this evidence and all of this great work going on, I'd love to get your insight into what are the motivations behind the education department or let's like inverted commas, the powers that be to be prioritizing this like Queensland, as you know, trialing, going and starting school engagement at three or prioritizing testing. And then <coughs> look at the, they're doing it saying, well, we want good results, but the PISA results that came out just now are a direct reversal, so but we're still pushing it. So why? That's because the people that are making the decisions are making decisions without consulting early childhood educators, academics, uh, or, or teachers. So in other words, um, the wrong people make the decision at a political level. The reason that, um, one of the reasons Finland does so well is because the people who make the decisions about education are absolutely deeply immersed in education. Um, and secondly, I think um, we just have this illusion that um, more testing will create better results, but it doesn't matter how many times you weigh the pig, it's gonna weigh the same. We are not putting the resources where we need them. And by the push down of formalized learning, you know that makes me so cross, um, where we're suspending and expelling five-year-old children because they can't cope with the environment. That That's not the system. Makes, me, <laughs> the makes my heart wrong. hurt. It's the system that's wrong. So again, I think we're getting a groundswell now coming up. I think the academics are getting stronger in their voices. I know early childhood educators are, and I know parents are, and I know people like me are. And I, I really believe that this will go in with that because not only are our levels of educational outcome dropping, our kids are struggling in life. So yeah, we've got so. more anxiety. We've got more kids in adolescence who are struggling to cope. So we have to look at where is it coming from um, and I'm, you know, once again, all those lovely, loud people out there who keep supporting those of us at the front line. I'm just waiting one day for getting the phone call, which says, you know, would you like to come and have a chat to us? Can we form a body that's going to look at this? Yeah. But I, I have no faith in our federal system. I, the only faith I have is that our state education bodies in Australia will start to, because they actually make the choices within their own state. I think we need to kind of work towards those. Yep. and hope that one of those will trigger another state to make some shifts. Yep. Well, how do you think or why do we, you think as a culture we overlook the early years so much? I think people do not understand. If you haven't studied it, 
you you really do not understand how incredibly important that stage of development is for children and why um, the development of their senses and their socio um, and emotional kind of uh, understandings of how they interact, we can't measure that. You can't test it, but we know when it's happening. So again, I think we've disrespected early childhood education. I think we've dis we just decided um, okay, so make my school look good in year three on the NAPLAN or we'll just push that down and that'll make them better there. Complete ignorance. And ignorance is no longer acceptable because we have the information, we have all the research, we have the academics that can convince them. Um, and I guess, you know, when we look around the world, um, sadly, we've got two kind of different ways that schools are doing really well. One is the fact that you have some schools systems um, particularly some in Asia that, that just work day and night. The kids just studying endlessly. And the second side is lovely Finland that says no formalised learning to year seven. Let's have a lot of play. Let's go home at, like, just after lunch. Like no testing, yeah. no competitive, no anything. So again, um, I think political decisions have been made and will continue to be made that are at the detriment of our children's health and wellbeing and academic outcomes. For all the advocates out there and the lighthouses, as you like to refer to them, um, what can the people out there do to have their voice heard, especially the early childhood teachers, um, the parents as well? I think they are. I think they're definitely now clustering together online. And so if you haven't found a group online that supports you, um, find one uh, and stay tuned because I think we... We're, we're going to be stepping forward. I, I'm pretty sure we're going to be at the cusp of us saying, okay, this isn't good enough, um, whether we do petitions, but we've got to start now lobbying towards change. We can't just keep letting go. When a system's broken, it needs fixing and it doesn't need a Band-Aid. It needs a complete rework. Yeah, yeah. and the, with my view is like with an overhaul, with the elevation will come that perception change. And the yep. stigma will drop as well. And then in turn, the great outcome of that will, we will be getting the best people in the sector. Yep. We won't have this ridiculous turnover that we are having in the sector. Yep. And the outcomes for the children, like it's their right to be supported, exactly to be right. loved, it's to be nourished. Right. And we're not fulfilling their rights. You look at the uh, UN Convention of Rights of Children. You could yep. flick through that and see, look at it critically and say, we're, we are not fulfilling that. No. And I think really to, that's beautifully landed on that space because I really believe that's the thing we take forward. Yep. We are actually not fulfilling the child's, the, the, any of the child's rights. So we have to step forward and go, hang on, this is an internationally accepted um, thing that we are denying children. And um, the whole need for us to test things, to teach children to pass tests that one day will be, <laughs> that take you nowhere. As I say, it's the race to nowhere. What we want to do is create in, um, minds that are capable of adapting to a world we don't know what it's going to be. And that's exactly what play does. That is exactly what nature play does. That is exactly what it is when we let our children a little more freedom and autonomy. They begin to be the creative problem solvers that they are innately born to be before we shut it down. Yeah, 100%. 100% couldn't have said it better. Oh, I'm ready to go change the world. <laughs> and I hope our listeners are as well and uh, to, to join us on this mission. Um, finally, would you, how, do, how do people become that lighthouse? What's your view? Um, okay, so 
I think everyone needs to realise that um, there's such a thing, uh, and it's hard to describe what it really means, is that um, consciousness, which is our way of thinking and believing, um, actually has a kind of power to influence without it always being loud. It's kind of like, let me give you a little example. Um, for breastfeeding mums, um, there is such a thing called a non-local mind. So if you leave your baby with your mum and you go shopping in Woolworths, if your baby wakes up and cries, your milk will come in. Yeah. So we have what we call a non-local mind. And I think all of us, the non-local mind is like a, it can influence us. So what has happened is the non-local mind was based on fear um, and a threat and uh, yeah. what if I do this wrong? <laughs> So we need to move into the non-local mind that says, gosh, let's celebrate childhood. Let's give them these opportunities. Let's all gather together to create neighbourhoods and school communities that absolutely value childhood, not try and coerce it and put it in a cage. Um, and let us all step back and celebrate this unique journey um, and the gift we've been given to help raise children in, in a beautiful country that we have. But I think you'll find the more optimism, the more that we talk positive instead of try to shut down negative. So that's what I want lighthouses to do. Keep on standing up and keep on speaking. No matter what they say, let the light come out because seriously, then we can shift things. Um, and, I, and I believe collectively we just have to change, you know, that perspective of people who think that the way they think based on what they know until they know something better, yep. they can't change that. And we do that with, you know, once again, the sort of joy that, you know, we have at these conferences, do you notice it's a buzz when we're at a conference yep. with nature play people or play people or early childhood educators because they actually know the joy that's potentially in that area before we shut it down. So, yeah, I, I also invite listeners, parents, educators, not to overlook your own influence in this. Just imagine yes. if you're going to just a mum's group and you're looking at and discussing these ideas and concepts and rights of children with four mums who might ha go on to have two children each, yeah. you've made a huge impact. Or those exactly. educators, you might be at a 120-place centre and interacting with that many children a year ongoing. So, yes. And that goes out into yeah. community. And a bit of encouragement is that we don't need 100% take-up of this. If we get 20% of everyone on board with this, that's our critical mass, that's our tipping point, and then this will mean we will be fulfilling the rights of those children and nourishing them and creating those communities that they deserve and have a right to. Yeah. And share anything you see on social media. Just share good stuff. Don't share the yuck stuff. Just share the good stuff, the examples of children playing or a lovely article or a school that's done something new or one of none of one of your beautiful initiatives. Keep sharing it because I know that actually changes consciousness quite subtly. Yeah. I'm very careful about when I find stuff because I want to go... Now, if I was a new parent, would this help me make better choices around my child or just make me feel like, you know, more guilty? Another thing. But also I want to keep, that's why I share so many playgrounds that have been built and so many messy things because every time we see those, there's a part of us that, that starts to anticipate, oh, that's the new normal. Yep. So let's recreate the new normal. Yeah, look at that. Um, those elements in some of those playgrounds that are featured the amount of times yep. I've been questioned, oh, we can't do that. And yeah. you just show them a picture and you're like, it's already been done. Yeah, lots of times. You don't need to reinvent the Who told the you that? Yeah, <laughs> the, chat, the chatty club, the whispers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fear. Um, Maggie, I'd, 
it's been so so lovely and fulfilling to talk to you i feel reinvigorated on our mission um the the team are gonna love that because i'll get back to the office and be like they got oh more download yep. more projects to do thanks lucas <laughs> <laughs> but it will all be worthwhile. Um, yeah. I'd encourage the listeners as well to head over to the Parental as Anything. Maggie's yeah. website is one of the best out there. So congratulations to you and your team. And, Thank um, you. Doing such amazing work. And I'm excited yeah, and to I'm see. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I thought I might retire because I'm 65 soon. But every now and then I will run into a family somewhere in the middle of somewhere weird who and said, oh, you should see our backyard now. Yeah, because I got my hubby onto your page, and he just thought cool, and he's gone and got big rocks, and he's built a ninja thing, and I go, yep, done, beautiful. Done. That's I'm it. I'm gonna still keep in going. It. Still in it's it. It's still in it. Yeah, hundred <laughs> um, percent. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, or? Um, no, other than the priority that I really I keep saying to parents, no matter what age your children are is to be able to prioritise just a few things. Yeah. Always prioritise movement, connection, having fun, being outside and laughing a lot. Done. That's beautiful. And it's that that's what goes beyond nostalgia. And if you look back on your memories as a child, guess what? I think that list is going to be <laughs> the, the sole list. You're like, oh, I can't remember that Napland test I did in no, year three. No, so you won't. So experiential. Thank you so much, Maggie. And thank you for the inspiration and being the flame you are. So rad. <laughs> You're such a good person. <laughs> Giving me a lot to live up to. Thank you so much for listening to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. Uh, Maggie Dent's been an amazing guest. Um, to follow her, head over to Maggie Dent on Facebook, Maggie Dent author on Instagram and head over right now and tune in to Parental as Anything, her ABC podcast on all podcast apps. Thanks so much and look forward to you joining me again soon on Play It Forward.